0: Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Schreck Podcast Series. Brownstein Policy Directors Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer bring their broad knowledge of congressional issues from both sides of the aisle together for a discussion moderated by Strategic Advisor Mark Begich that includes the February 8th Continuing Resolution and the potential impact of the debt ceiling, as well as immigration, infrastructure, and their thoughts on any fallout
1: from the three day government shutdown.
0: Welcome to another Brownstein Podcast. Today, we are joined again with Elizabeth and Elizabeth to talk about kind of what's really going on in the 50,000-foot level of policy in Washington, D.C. Elizabeth Gore is the policy director, serves as the chair of the Brownstein Government Relations Department. Elizabeth previously served as chief of staff to Senator Byron Dorgan, as a special assistant to the Clinton White House and in the House Committee on Budget. Having over 20 years of experience in Democratic politics and advocacy, Elizabeth provides clients with insight on the legislative and regulatory outlook for a variety of public policy topics, including energy and technology issues. Again, I'm joined with Elizabeth Mayer, Policy Director, is a well-trusted and political advisor at Brownstein. Elizabeth worked more than 10 years as Legislative Director to U.S. Senator John Kyle. She now focuses her efforts and expertise on advising Brownstein clients about numerous legislative and regulatory issues and uses her experience and expertise to advance clients' priorities. Uh, the year has ended. The new year has started. But we also have the issue around immigration. It, at one point, was kind of wrapped around uh, the budget issues. Now it's not. Uh, we have... An infrastructure bill may be being now talked about again in the world of policy from the Trump administration. We have budget issues that are lingering over the next two weeks. Uh, debt ceiling is almost like we've done this presentation podcast every I don't know two months, but maybe um, Elizabeth Gore, you can start off and tell us. I mean, what do you think? I mean, here we are, a new year, president's going to make his first. State of the Union, we have big issues kind of still hanging out there, and in short order, we're going to have a budget uh, CR again and a debt ceiling that no one really has mentioned. It's kind of hidden around the corner. What do you think is going to happen here? What's the dilemma we're facing? Or maybe there is no dilemma. Maybe it's just business as usual.
2: Well, I think that there's going to be a budget agreement by next week that includes raising the budget caps and Um, including some disaster spending. The bill is likely to extend some Medicare provisions that expired at the end of last year and include funding for community health centers. There doesn't seem to be the same kind of brinksmanship for the February 8th deadline that we've seen in in the last round or two of these continuing resolutions. So I think we're less in a crisis mode. I believe that this will not be a long-term CR. This is going to be a couple of weeks with the hope that they'll be able to get a longer, uh, more comprehensive deal on the following bill.
0: But no immigration kind of wrapped into doesn't a docker? Like, it
2: doesn't look like immigration is going to be a part of this package, that that's going to move on a separate track, which uh, breaks the dam a little bit and lets some of these other budgetary issues move forward. Listen, this has been an extremely unpredictable year, the last 12 months, and anything can happen. But it doesn't appear that you're going to have the same kind of crisis mode that we saw a couple of weeks ago.
0: Mrs. Mayor, do you think that's the same?
1: Uh, I do. I believe uh, another CR will have to pass, although a number of uh, Republican members of the House have. Basically said they won't vote for another CR. So is that of the
0: Freedom Caucus group? Is yeah, that still starting to grow there? Is there a bubbling occurring?
1: I don't really know that it's bubbling or growing, but there are a few uh, members um, who who won't vote for another CR. And if a budget deal is announced that has too dramatic an increase in domestic spending, then you have a few other Republicans in the House who won't vote for a CR. So the thinking is that you know they could need Democratic votes in the House to get a CR across the, you know across the way over to the Senate. I agree with Elizabeth. I think the CR will not be a long CR. I think then though you're butting up against the debt ceiling, uh, the debt limit, and the need to increase it statutorily. So though ACR will pass. And I was going to say, I think that if immigration is not disposed of, irrespective of whether somebody – if Senator McConnell allows for consideration of a number of ideas on the Senate floor, and then uh, Speaker Ryan does the same thing, if something isn't wrapped up, I think the next CR is potentially um, going to be when people start to draw lines in the sand again, and there could theoretically be another shutdown – Um, But you're also butting up against the debt limit. And so that kind of, you know, at least traditionally, folks don't want to play politics too much at the end of the day with the debt limit. Mm -hmm. They act like they are, but they end up, you know, just allowing. Yeah. Um, And so because of that, well, if that's attached to the next CR, uh, will people be um, as incendiary as they were last time? I don't know. But I do think if an agreement isn't reached on immigration by the next CR, it could be very problematic.
0: How does President Trump play in this? Or does he? Is Congress kind of interested in saying, President, stay away, let us figure this out? Or do you think the design forces him to participate? What do you think happens, Liz Gore?
2: So on the issue of immigration, from all I can tell, the president's not sure where he wants to head. He doesn't have a firm position. It changes um, often. I think he's taken four different positions on the issue of the dreamers themselves. So that makes it really hard for him to lead. It makes it really hard for the uh, Congress to understand where he's trying to get to. Republican leaders themselves have said, we don't know what he wants. At one point, the president said, if you guys come up with a deal, I'll sign it. They came up with a deal and they brought it to him, and he said, "I won't sign it." So it's very complicated to try and work with this president who is um, very um, inept at, at trying to negotiate some of these issues. And does he have the same
0: thing on the budget? Do you think he's not going to be able to? You know, let's say we're two weeks out now, and the CR is. And is he kind of hands off on the budget?
2: So far, I mean, he just has not provided a goal for people to to aim for. You know, I think on immigration, one of the challenges that the administration has, has had, and they appear to be having the same challenge on infrastructure, is that sort of from a talking point perspective, they know what they want. And from a very broad sort of rhetorical position, they do. But when you try and write policy, it it seems to kind of come off the rails. And the president, again, has a shifting position, which makes it it really difficult. I think there are many in Congress that would be happy to sort of take it on their own and, and drive the policy themselves. But... It's really hard to do that when the president is throwing gear, sand into the gears um, uh, on some of these some of these efforts.
0: Liz Nero, what do you think? How, how does the president play in this budget and other issues at this point? You know, here he is a year in, right? Do mm-hmm. you think he's going to change a pattern or do you think it's the same or what? Uh, Maybe that's too many questions at once.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> well, the pattern is there is no real there is pattern. No pattern. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to take a, an example, Elizabeth just uh, used uh, infrastructure, for example. Um, I agree with her. The administration has said wholeheartedly that they want to do something. Um, but even Senate Republicans who are steeped in the infrastructure um, issues, such as Senator Inhofe, and who has been – for a very long time, Forever. has has basically said, uh, w- well, how do you take $200 billion and turn it into a trillion? And because infrastructure isn't as much a partisan issue and more folks seem to want to delve into trying to find a way to find more money than not, he's not exactly sure how serious the administration actually is about getting something done on infrastructure. So it's kind of a wait and see. We'll have to wait and see where he comes to the table on that. And and then I, I would say on the budget, a lot of people are talking about the idea of parity between uh, defense and domestic spending. And um, frankly, I, I do believe that at the end of the day, um, as long as there's adequate uptick in defense spending, I think that President Trump would sign or, you know, be a part of an agreement that really articulates a, a series of numbers that we don't know yet, but that are bipartisan more in nature on on the immigration front. I believe that he—I think he's always been pretty clear that he wants to do something about the folks who are here um, and who are called, you know, the dream class or the DACA folks. It's just the outlier issues that go along with it that he— has changed his position about he said around the time he had that bipartisan meeting that was covered um, by the press, essentially that he would sign anything that Congress sent to him. Um, And now he has these principles that he has sent out that he said have to be in some way a part of of any deal. The question is, is is he really setting himself up for the long term um, and having a position on immigration and some of these outlier issues like chain migration? et cetera, and actually he'll sign something, let's say, that has funding for a wall and then the DACA class, we, don't, we really don't know.
0: Is, is it I mean, I, I'm thinking about these issues. You know, you got the budget, you got debt ceiling, you got immigration. Now you have infrastructure back up, which I think, Elizabeth Gore, you tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, as a, as a former Democratic senator, I mean, we love infrastructure, right? We, we like to build stuff, but I literally was at the airport yesterday, and I heard a group who were flying here to D.C., and they talked about the $200 billion over 10 years, and they were laughing about it. They said, $20 a year? You, you can't even get out of the gate on that. I mean, one state alone will suck that dry because of the needs and the backlog of trillions in infrastructure. So is it is it just the phrase of infrastructure we're going to hear over and over again, or are people going to really get to back to the trillion-dollar issue, which is really not even – it's one-fifth of what's needed in the marketplace in order to meet the demands that the engineering community has said for just public infrastructure. Forget private infrastructure, public infrastructure. Is it just another – let's just throw infrastructure out there. And we have a lot of clients in the Brownstein group that care about this issue a lot because every time it pops up, it seems we get calls from our clients saying, is this the bill? And then we scurry around and we find out, yeah, not 100 percent, right? Your, your thought on that, Elizabeth Gore?
2: So I think there's a couple of reasons why the infrastructure bill faces a very steep hill to get up. First of all, the administration and the Congress, the leaders um, on this issue haven't decided what they mean by infrastructure. Um, Is it it just roads and bridges? Does it include rural broadband? Are they talking about schools and hospitals, which the president mentioned at one point? Are they talking about regulatory relief, which has been something that's been discussed? And so... There's sort of a fundamental lack of understanding about what it is that we're, they're trying to achieve. The second problem is that they don't have a funding source. And without a funding source, your point is exactly right. They don't have a way of paying for these projects. And a, a small um, infrastructure bill of a couple of billion dollars a year really doesn't achieve any of the goals of economic development, or making a dent in the um, weakness that we have in our in our transportation um, network, so I think that um, that's a real problem. Now, listen. The the reality is that um, uh, voters are fickle, and that makes politicians <laughs> fickle. And uh, there there may be a point later this year where um, both sides see it in their interest, both Democrats and Republicans, and the Congress and the White House see it in their interest to pull together and come up with a plan that um, that 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 is bipartisan and that can um, you know get to the president's desk for signature before the end of the year. I just think that that's hard to do, and those stars are not aligned at this point. Um,
1: The only thing I would add to that is from talking to a number of folks on the outside who might be involved in public-private partnerships or want to be, or are um, just looking for a way for the federal government to get out of the way or to um, expedite licensing and permitting Um, And eliminating some of the regulations that are getting in the way of getting things done. There are some entities. um, Yes, they want the money, but they they almost as much want the uh, reform. Of the regulatory and licensing and permitting process, that in and of itself does not make an infrastructure bill, but it is something but it that
0: could spur infrastructure development.
1: It, it could, and it, it is something that I've heard over and over from you know some clients at the firm that just want a process, a fair process um, that doesn't take you know outlier number of years. Yeah, I think that the um,
2: counterpoint to that is that Democrats are going to be reluctant to do a bill that is just a standalone regulatory reform bill if they see it as a way of weakening environmental regulations and environmental review. Reg reform is something everybody supports. Gutting the National Environmental Protection Act is something Democrats have a problem with. So, I think, again... It depends on what reg reform means. it depends on what permit permitting streamlining means and what the impact is going to be on on some of the fundamental processes that are currently in place. Nobody thinks that there should be a ten year window to try and get a road permitted It's too long um, but I do think that on the democratic side in particular and Among the general public, people do want to make sure that there's some um, review to ensure that there's not significant environmental damage being done uh, on these major infrastructure projects. So there's a balancing act even in that space. And again, I would be surprised if that could move as a standalone. As part of a larger infrastructure bill, yes. As a standalone piece of legislation, I
1: think it's going to be a lot harder. I agree with elizabeth i I would just say that you know for those of us, and I know Elizabeth remembers this as um maybe you do too, <laughs> but when the um the stimulus bill you know was getting worked on, and you know it went back and forth, and are people voting no are they voting yes, and um we were briefed in my old job numerous times about you know, what projects are actually shovel ready Mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem, we came to learn about the quote, shovel ready or not shovel ready. And, and many, many, many were not shovel ready was the permitting and licensing process and probably some necessary environmental portion of it. But it also was just too laborious and long and needed to be streamlined. Right. So.
0: Well, I know in one of the bills, I can't remember, is in the highway transportation bill, uh, they changed one, I think, projects under $10 million or $20 million. They streamlined that line uh, process for that simple reason, because it seemed not logical to have a road that's maybe a $5 million road taking 10 years to build, when in reality, by the time you're done, the actual construction costs the actual mm-hmm. physical pavement and so forth was maybe one-fifth of that and the process to get there. So there is this balance of what is regulation that's good, that makes it work, what is regulation that's overburdened. That's a great debate. And I know, I think, it might even be Senator Heidkamp and uh, Johnson, I can't
2: remember which is one. Mr. Lankford from Oklahoma. Okay,
0: that that they've talked about this whole issue and what, what can be done. So, you know, there's a lot around this in a, in a broad sense. Let me ask you, you um, know, as we get to the close here, and that is, and all the was Gore this first, and that is, you know, we we went through, we've had, in at least in my time in the Senate and now, out of the Senate, I've seen two shutdowns, um, one longer, this one was shorter, DACA was kind of the driver to a certain extent. Do you think, um, I mean, one was Republican-driven, one was Democratic-driven, depends who you argue with about it, but- are those are they producing any value I mean I think about the one that just occurred it was three days um, I think a couple of weeks from now no one will ever remember this happened you know just except people in D.C. because we'll talk about it until we're you know blue in the face but you know outside of this it's like okay whatever because did that have any impact positive or negative that three day shutdown uh, in a weird way it was over the weekend People assume the federal government's closed. So, any any thought on that from the Democratic? I mean, what was, you know, it was like done, and then it was suddenly recoiled back fairly quickly. Any thought on that from the Democrat side? And then I'm, I'm going to ask the same question on the Republicans. Do they? Because I fear that the House. Freedom Caucus is getting in a mode of we don't care anymore because we didn't get debt relief, we didn't get this, we didn't get this, and their flag is going to be raised pretty high soon, I think. But any thought from the Democrats? I mean, you talk to them, especially around the senators.
2: So my view is that the shutdown may not have had a big impact on the general public, but it was a very clear sign of the failure of the Congress and the administration to fulfill the basic governing requirements, um, including funding the federal government. And from the Democratic perspective, uh, I would say Republicans control the House, they control the Senate, they control the White House. Um, They have to take uh, the, the responsibility for the you know day-to-day operation of the Congress and ensuring that the fundamental responsibilities are met, um, including funding the federal government. And I think there's no question that there was a lack of clarity from the president about what was acceptable and what wasn't. They seemed to be moving towards a deal. And it got upended by by some of the positions that the president took and some of the language that he used. So I think that it is uh, more symbolic than than impactful, uh, uh, sort of in the day to day life of of um, most Americans. But I do think that it is symptomatic of a larger problem, which is. Um, Decline in the ability of Congress and the administration to get the basic functioning government to continue.
0: Yeah, the basic piece is to keep it operating. Lose the mayor? Any? I mean, I, I see the freedom cock is kind of popping up more in news reports than they used to. Debt ceiling being one of the issues in the sense of commentary by a couple members. Uh, what do you think? Is that yeah? Just, with
1: all due respect, this last shutdown. Was not the fault of the Freedom Caucus, um, you know. In my opinion, Senator I'm Schumer. Not saying
0: it is. I'm saying in the future, I think they're going to raise their head much higher than before. And can they? Do they care about a shutdown if they are the ones that implement it? Do you think it's a high value to them to not have a shutdown, or do they? Do you well, think their just- principles are going to become more outweighed than before?
1: Well, as the old saying goes, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, <laughs> who is the cause of a shutdown is also probably in the eye of the beholder. Um, I, I don't know. I, I believe that there are you know probably a group of House Republicans um, who don't see a federal government shutdown quite the same way that maybe some of the uh, individuals who have worked on these issues and are in Congress – uh, look at them and see it every day. I, I will say that um, a shutdown, even for folks who don't necessarily believe it's really that terrible a thing, I think everyone is getting more and more information as the days and months go by, and the billions of dollars that a shutdown causes is actually not lost on the Freedom Caucus or the, you know, members of the RS Republican Study Committee in the House, um, with respect to this last shutdown, um, it was very apparent that a uh, compromise on the, the DACA folks um, was not in sight. And Senator Schumer, who it is believed, um, you know, sort of dismissed the folks who wanted him to shut the government down or not vote to continue a CR, uh, the last time around, felt very burned by him and were very angry at him. So you know, not that I'm always sympathetic to Senator Schumer, <laughs> but he was between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. He had voted to continue the CR one other time much to the chagrin of many folks who wanted him not to because of daca he had to do something at least for 24 or 48 hours um to show support for you know that sure um but then i think that he started to realize that he was getting a little bit over his skis Mm -hmm. and he decided that he just had to agree to get his conference to vote for it so i i do on this last shutdown i mean the democrats could have voted for it and just everybody could have said they were going to continue to negotiate in good faith this next time around as i said before i i think that everybody will say that it's the next time around and if they can't get their act together by then it's everybody's fault anybody yeah
0: yeah let me uh, close on this comment and then maybe um what do you think in this question you know we have a you know, Always with a January, you kind of feel like there's a new year, a new fresh start. Everyone kind of rethinks everything. So here we are, uh, State of the Union. Everyone's kind of back. They're going to all have their retreats over the next two weeks approximately. Between now and the end of the year, what's the number one issue that people do you think are going to deal with this year? Elizabeth Gore?
2: I think the biggest issue in the Congress is going to be the budget and the debt ceiling because I think there's going to be a hard time to to have any other big legislative initiatives. So I think in Congress, the biggest issue is going to be the budget and how we resolve um, the debt ceiling. I think uh, there's going to continue to be regulatory activity, and uh, it's hard to say what the biggest regulatory um, item is going to be, but certainly the Clean Power Plan from the EPA is going to be a um, very major regulatory effort. Um, as this administration goes to rework that, re, re, um, replace the, the Obama-era rule. And then thirdly, I would just say, outside of the Congress, the biggest story in Washington, D.C. in 2018 is going to be what happens on the Russia investigation. Uh, there's no question that there is a lot of activity with Bob Mueller and others regarding um, a, maybe potential money laundering, maybe potential obstruction of justice by the president. And that is going to be the storyline that um, is m- most important and probably most dominant in
1: 2018.
0: Elizabeth Mayer, where do you think 2018? What's the
1: uh, well, I, I, I believe, uh, you know, that as most people uh, in this town know that, you know, after the first quarter legislatively, because it's an election year, um, it will be difficult to even more difficult. And that is a hard, <laughs> hard thing to hard, actually right? say right. Um, to get anything bipartisan passed or passed. Um, I think one outlier issue to be uh well aware of and to continue to follow is is trade. And if the administration decides uh, on any given day that they're going to um, relinquish the United States part in NAFTA. I just, I don't know what can happen or will happen. There are a number of um, privilege processes that can be gone through um, to to try to do something. But I think that's an outlier important issue. So it's kind
0: of hanging out there as something that might come in off the
1: side. Yeah, I mean, primarily NAFTA. The other issues, TTIP and TPP, Mm -hmm. are important. um, But it just seems like those are sort of on a back shelf right now, even though the other countries participating are moving forward.
0: Very good. Thank you both very much, as usual, for an insightful conversation for our listeners, and appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for
2: more information.